You're listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. So many good things to say, folks. I am here thinking about October. Why? Because we are having the next Bride Tribe Advance in the fall. And the cool thing is we're opening this advance up to all of you that follow this podcast, not only those of you that are part of our uh, Bride Ministries Church community. Now, here's the thing that happened. Uh, We... (laughs) (laughs) Lo and behold, sold a whole bunch of seats. So uh, I'm just making this announcement now. We have about 20 seats left as of the recording and release of this podcast. That means, uh, folks, those of you that have been part of our community and have been delaying on registering for this next advance, uh, do not delay because I don't know how long we're going to have these last 20 or so seats for the conference. And when they're gone, they're gone. But what I can tell you is it's promising to be an extraordinary event. So far, all three of the events that we have had uh, last year and this year have just been off the charts spectacular. Every time we have one of these, we take the next Bride Ministries Church just to go over all the testimonies, all the encounters, all of the ministry that people received, healings and deliverance and so on and so forth. And so uh, we are really excited. Now, I do want to make this just kind of clear for those of you that are planning to attend and and may not know what to expect because we have people connect with this podcast from all kinds of different backgrounds. We have a whole lot of people coming from very broken backgrounds, uh, people that have been through SRA and are waking up to it, people that have dissociative identity disorder, people that are doctors and lawyers and professionals and people that are very healthy and are kingdom-minded and extraordinarily successful. We run the gamut, people from every walk of life and age and race, you know, Sounds like kingdom are connecting with our platform. Now, for this reason, and I need to say this, our conferences are not SRA conferences. They they are not survivor events. In, In other words, if you are a survivor, we want you in our community. But the conferences that we do are not focused on uh catering to survivor uh concerns and issues. Uh our events are focused on Jesus and the kingdom of God and growing as a community and as a people. And uh, we at Bride Ministries believe in integrated community, meaning uh, a place where survivors can come and be understood and fellowship freely uh, (laughs) without having to wear the mask and be misunderstood, but also uh, making room for everyone. And so that is the nature of our events so that there's no confusion. Now, I want to say a few more things. One, I am going to be in Louisiana in Lake Charles in July. And the details of that are on our website, BrideMinistriesInternational.com, right there on the front page. And so if you're in the Lake Charles area, just go to BrideMinistriesInternational.com. We're going to call it the Strengthen with Might Conference. There's going to be a whole lot of focus on the human spirit element of our ministry and uh, getting people activated into some really cool things uh, that that's really going to be the, the the driver behind this particular conference and it's hosted by only believe ministry and willie richmond and we're so grateful to be in fellowship with her so folks check that out 
I am going to be releasing advanced prayers that shake heaven and earth at the end of the summer, late August, early September. Uh, it, it, it's it's coming. I, I've delayed turning it over to my editors just slightly because I have given it to a bunch of my friends um, for some endorsements. <laughs> so I'm waiting for some of those to come back in, but we already have the editor lined up. I mean, this this thing is in full steam ahead mode. So we're, we're, we're very excited about that. And I know many of you are going to be absolutely blessed by the tools. The funny thing, I'm looking at this book and thinking... <laughs> <laughs> Who but the people in the Bride Ministries community are going to understand what to even do with this book? Um, but for those of you that have been following us and have gone where we have traversed, you're going to pick up these prayers and these resources and uh, kick the devil in the teeth. Amen. Folks, we have an amazing show for you today. Dr. Ron Horner is back with me. We're going to be talking about engaging the courts of heaven for your city. So um, we're going to get to that in just a minute. I want to say one last thing. Thank you. Thank you to our supporters that faithfully support this ministry with your giving, prayers, and word of mouth. Because we are growing. And you are driving this. Uh, you are our engine and, uh, with God. <laughs> and and we're just so grateful for you and everything that you are doing. You know, uh, we are putting a lot of money away as an organization so that we can begin to do some of these bigger projects that are going to cost hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars. We are saving towards these things like, you know, uh, eventually doing some survivor housing solutions, um, like building out physically in areas where God is giving us missions and mandates and, um, there are a whole lot of elements of the vision that we haven't even begun to unpack yet. And so I just want to say you are amazing. So if you want to join those that have been supporting us, just go to BrideMinistriesInternational.com. There's a donate page. With that said, don't go anywhere. You're listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. Well, folks, welcome back to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. I have my uh, friend joining me again, Dr. Ron Horner, who is an apostolic leader specializing in overturning verdicts from the courts of hell, local church government, freedom from captivity, the court system of heaven, uh, frankly, territorial warfare now. He's written a number of books, and we're going to be zeroing in on his book regarding utilizing the courts of heaven in order to engage in territorial warfare for your city, your state, your nation. Um, you can find him at courtsofheaven.net. And if you are really, really smart, you'll ask me, Daniel, how did you know he was at courtsofheaven.net? Well, I'll tell you in a minute. Dr. Horner, welcome back to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. Thank you, Dan. Good to be here. You know, it, it's always a pleasure to sit down with you. That is quite a spread behind you. I, I, I love the background. <laughs> People complain about mine all the time. They're like, Dan, your background's boring. You know, I used to have some pictures back here, but I moved and somehow they just have not gotten put up. I've been asking the angels to do it for months and I don't know. So... Hmm. <laughs> Go ahead. You have something to say. 
they say, well, they know where the hammer is. They know where the screws are. So you can, there you go. They'll help you. They'll watch you. <laughs> They'll watch you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a pleasure to have you back. You know, uh, we've done some really wonderful programs so far. And folks, if you haven't heard my former interviews with Dr. Horner, please go back and find them in our archives. Uh, we, we've covered some really, really wonderful territory. But this th this podcast, we're going to be focusing in on, on territorial warfare. And I want to get started by talking about a subject that always comes up whenever territorial anything comes up within large portions of the body of Christ. And that's, well, fear, right? Because somehow people have gotten indoctrinated. And I, and I think that a lot of this came from a specific source. I'm not going to go there right now. But um, uh, with the idea that if, if you do anything regional or territorial, that, well, one, isn't part of our Christian jurisdiction at all. This, this comes from certain camps. It's just like, no, you, our job is just to preach the gospel to people one at a time. So any prayers that would go further than that to impact a city or a state, that's just, that's just stupid. Um, and then there's other people that say, well, maybe, you know, someone out there is supposed to do this, but for almost everyone else, we need to stay as far away from that territorial stuff as possible because that's how people get eaten alive. It's bad. It's scary. And, 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 and Dr. Horner, I, I, I just have certain issues with that perspective. Right. I, I, I really, it grieves my spirit, but I want to let you talk about it. Okay. A lot of people, from the camp that you're talking, from the viewpoint you're talking about, uh, we almost want to put it off and let God do all the fighting. But Jesus said, go and make disciples of all the nations. We're not doing really well at that because I don't know of any nations that are disciples at this point. And we've been at this for 2000 years. Okay. So what are we doing that we're continuing to do? That's not working. And that's where we show up with the ports of heaven paradigm paradigm. And most believers are used to praying the same way over and over again and hoping eventually that it'll break through, uh, like they're tapping a hammer on a wall or something. But maybe we just need to simply change the paradigm that we're using or change our the revelation that we've been accessing and get more revelation so that we can actually impact the city where we live, the nation where we live, uh, and the, the world at large. The first thing we have to look at is if we do not love our city, we do not have a right to pray for it. Just like if you don't love someone, you don't have a right to prophesy to them. You really don't have a right to pray for them because you're going to prophesy wrongly. You're going to pray wrongly. The same thing with your city. If you do not love your city, then you're going to be praying for it incorrectly. You're going to be praying judgment and things like that. And, and the judgment mentality has brought us to where we are. If we look at Christian history, with the first Great Awakening, Jonathan Edwards had a very strong judgment mentality. So we're waiting on God to whack everybody and destine everybody to hell who's not going up in the rapture, that kind of thing. So that kind of mindset puts us in a, it puts us in a mode of, uh, well, I'm going to heaven, but to hell with the rest of you. Okay, so, but Jesus, I don't think, thought the same way. So 
we need to understand what is his heart for the city. In Jeremiah, he said to pray for the city where I've placed you so that when it has peace, you'll have peace. Hmm. If we don't have peace in our city, it's not the sinner's fault. It's the church's fault. If we have what we have because the church has failed to address sin in its proper context. Uh, we like to complain, oh, so-and-so is doing this, so-and-so is doing that. But as I teach in the book called Engage the Courts for Your City, uh, when we look at anything that's governmental, we have to first look at what is the church doing that's similar. It's a similar sin that the church has been engaged in over its history. And then we repent for that sin. Then we have a moral authority to begin to pray for our government, to pray for our local leaders, etc. So when we own up to it, because we know that it says judgment begins at the house of God. And if, uh, if God's looking at us first, he's not looking at the sinner first. He's looking at the church first. See, I expect a sinner to sin. I do not expect a believer to sin on the same level, hmm. to do the same kinds of sin. So when I look at it, for example, people, uh, one of the groups that I work with, we deal with a lot of national or international issues. The first place we look, though, okay, what's this, the, where's the church been doing the same kind of thing? And then begin to repent for what the church has failed to do. Then we have a moral authority and a legal authority to begin to address the government. Because we are where we are because the church has let things go on that they never raised their voice about. You've got all these people raising the voice, oh, we want prayer back in schools. Well, where were their fathers and their mothers and their grandparents in the 1960s when that first came around? They could have stopped it then. But no, we're staying, we're staying at home being nice little citizens. We're loving Jesus going to church on Sunday, but we're not changing any, uh, anything in our society. So uh, we could get on a rant about that. Uh, well, I, 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 I'm saying I think you already got started. <laughs> no, but... Uh, you said something so 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 powerful. Um, you know, you said that people have had this judgment mentality. You know, they they see prophets in the Old Testament that were given prophetic messages of impending judgment or or an act of God's justice on an issue that affected a region, and so they assume that anyone that has a national voice has to speak with the same tone the same tenor and and so if my message doesn't come out like fire and brimstone is going to burn new york city for their sin obviously i'm not prophesying right and uh <laughs> god is raising up ecclesias around the world to engage with heaven for the destiny of their regions right Right, because that, that means that, that, that God actually has appoint, heaven-appointed destinies for regions that are awaiting and unlocking. Right, and unless intercessors step up to the plate and begin to unlock, uh, see, we're dealing with gates over cities and over regions and nations and things like that. And uh, Psalm 24 tells us, uh, tell the ruler of the gate to release has hold, and so the king of glory can come in. The church has been doing a lousy job of being a gatekeeper over their cities and their nations and their states. And so if we're not gatekeeping, who is? Well, I'll tell you who is, Dr. Horner. 
the witches, the warlocks, the Santeria practitioners, and the Illuminists. Lots right. of Freemasons, and they have the temples to prove it. <laughs> right. Because we've been asleep at the switch. Yep. Thinking, oh, if God wants it to be, it'll be. We've had a we've we've adopted our theology from Doris Day's song, Luke Sara Sara. Whatever will be, will be. <sighs> so when we adopt that kind of mentality, then sure, anything goes. Oh, because if God wanted it, it would really it would happen. But God always joins himself to people who extend their faith for the purposes of God to be established in any situation. Ron Horner, I'm pretty sure that you would agree with the following comment. Okay. Smiley, because I'm being a little facetious here. Jesus established the church on the rock for the purpose of growing to large numbers so that we could make people feel better about losing in life. Right. <laughs> That's not a right of agreement. That's just a right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Educate me, Dr. Horner, because obviously I'm missing something here. What's an ecclesia? Okay. Uh, the, the Greek word that we use for church is ecclesia which means an assembly of called out one. They're called out of one place into a separate association. Okay. The Aramaic word is adah. The Aramaic word has an implication that we miss in the Greek, and it means a governmental body or a, a spiritual governing force. And that's what we're to be as a spiritual governing force over our city, over our state, county, nation, whatever our province, whatever it happens to be. Because we should be the ones determining what's happening in our cities, not wicked councils, not the Illuminati, not the Freemasons, not all these other groups and covens or whatever. We should be the ones dictating what happens in our city. If we don't like what's happening in our city, then, okay, let's do something about it. Let's uh, begin to get these false rulers removed from their gates and get the righteous rulers put in their place. Because if you don't like what's coming through the door, check who the doorman is. So, you know, we would do the same thing in the natural, but we do not do it in the spirit, in the, in the spiritual arena. Okay. And ecclesia should be, it doesn't have to be simply a church. It should be, every church should be an ecclesia, but not every church out there is governing. See, if they're not governing, they're not an ecclesia, in, in my estimation. The intent was that they would be governing forces in their community to bring about change and bring and establish the kingdom of God in their sphere of influence. Mm, I like that. Okay. The word in, uh, that was used in New Testament times would be the word legate. Herod was a legate of Rome. His purpose, his function was to establish a little Rome in Jerusalem. Every governor over any province in the Roman world, their job was to establish a little Rome in that locale. So that if somebody came from Rome and they walked into your city, oh, they would feel at home there. Okay, we're going to be doing the same thing when it comes to the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. We're supposed to be establishing the kingdom of, of heaven where we live. You come to my city and you should sense the peace of God. 
the presence of God. If I go to your city, I should sense the peace of God, the presence of God, because I'm establishing it governmentally uh, in the courts of heaven. Okay. How many cities can we say are resembling heaven right now? It's a short list, I expect. <sighs> I think so. Okay. Now, I've been to uh, one of the northeastern states in India. They have lots of states in India. Mm-hmm. But in the northeast corner were the Nagas and uh, in Mizoram and uh, another neighboring city, uh, state rather. They had revivals in the 50s, 60s, and 70s in, the Na- in Nagaland where over 90% of the population became born again. So they had the gospel of salvation was preached and it brought conversions. But if you go there, you don't necessarily see that it transforms society. Oh man, here we go. Okay. So when you go there, I've been there, spent several weeks there over the last few years. And when I go there, I'm not preaching a gospel of salvation because in one tribe, 99% of the people in that tribe had become believers. So you don't need to preach a gospel of salvation. There you're preaching a gospel of the kingdom, that the kingdom should be transforming and impacting your society and not being overtaken and resembling the world as far as its sin and its uh, its mindsets, etc. So it should be a, more of a reflection of heaven than it is of hell. So how does your city look? Uh, well, I live in Dallas, so you can do right. that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> We're working on it. You got you got a ways to go, right? <laughs> but but I, I I I love this, you know, and and you bring up something that they, I mean, God pointed this one out to me a while back. There is a difference between the gospel of salvation, believing in Jesus Christ as our Savior, and the gospel of the kingdom, which is the good news of God's government, mm-hmm. and bringing His kingdom in requires a lot more than just believing that Jesus has redeemed us from sin and death. It, it is that God's government from his throne, from his realm, is designed to interface with earth through us and transform every facet of society, and that we are agents in the execution of that agenda. Right. How are we going to disciple nations? if we don't have impact in that nation to do so. Okay. We have to have governmental impact and have leaders who are believers in the different arenas of government and the different arenas of society as a whole. Okay. Uh, we're complaining about what to come, what's coming out of our colleges and universities. Well, think about it. Uh, how many 20, 30 years ago when the young people uh, were becoming born again through the Jesus movement, things like that. They thought Jesus was coming at any moment, so they didn't go to college or universities to get educated to be a voice later. They thought, oh, Jesus is coming. I don't have to do that. Well, by their inaction, they abdicated their voice and the right to have a voice because they were suddenly absent by the droves for a full generation. Well, Satan wasn't absent during that time frame, he was filling up with his agenda because he had no opposition to speak of. 
very few educational voices would come out against the agenda that was being promoted. And now we have the fruit of all that. It's had time to mature and become a full-blown tree or full-blown orchard rather than just a few things. Uh, but, but we did that to ourselves by our belief system. We're, now we're all hoping to get caught out of here before it gets much worse. That's not what Peter thought in his first sermon. He's looking for the restoration of all things. Come on. We're not anywhere close to that right now. So Jesus is not coming next week. Sorry. I do not think so because the, the word doesn't bear that out. In other words, it's time for us to get to work. <laughs> exactly. And we've got to start. We've got to start. We have to work smarter, not harder. Yes. Because we don't have the time frame. If you think this is the last days, then you've got to work that much harder to see the, the, the nation's disciples and the gospel and the glory of the Lord covering the earth as the waters cover the sea. We're not seeing that yet because we've been too busy arguing over stupid stuff. So, so let's talk about this. <laughs> what are the steps that people should take so that they can begin to engage in heavenly court cases on okay. behalf of their cities or regions? Right. One thing I'd say look at is ask yourself, do you love your city? See, if you love somebody, you'll want what's best for them. If you don't love them, you don't care if they go to hell or not. And if you don't care if they go to hell or not, then you need to go spend some time in prayer <laughs> because that's not the heart of the Father. He says, the goodness of God leads men to repentance. I, I prefer to work from that standpoint as opposed to, oh, God's ready to whack you. He's waiting for the first chance that he can just cut you off at the knees. Uh, so get the heart of the Father for your city, for your state, your nation, whatever. If you haven't done local things, don't try to go start doing state or national things. You haven't been a steward of the smaller thing yet. So become a steward where you are. Let him elevate you. Don't elevate yourself. You won't get in trouble. Elevate yourself. Because if you elevate yourself, you're responsible for the results of your elevation. That's not a good place to be when you have not been responsible for your neighborhood or for your city or your side of town, that kind of thing. I live in a fairly small town, so it's easier for me to think of small towns as the size of mine. I live in Dallas. Dallas is a little bit bigger, uh, a few million bigger. Okay, so you have a different mindset, but there are parts of the city. You live in a particular part of the, the city. That is your Jerusalem. Okay, so what did the early church do with their Jerusalem? Okay, they would, part of it was prayer. They did more things than we realize when it comes to uh, impacting their society. Prior to the early church being on the scene, widows and orphans were in essence castaways. They began to take notice of that and take care of the orphans and the widows, and the Roman government noticed it. And they began to put policies in place to help support widows and orphans who had been, in essence, non-persons prior to that point. So the church there affected the entire Roman Empire by what they began to do 
in their Jerusalem. Mm. So, so find out what's the heart of the Father and start where you are. Now, if you're, you want to pray for the city, but you're not praying for your pastor, check that. Because it's a matter of stewardship. You grow into these things. In Zechariah chapter 3, starting in verse 6, the Lord uh, was speaking to J uh, Joshua the high priest, and he says, if you'll uh, walk in my ways and keep my commands, then you'll have charge of my courts. Hmm. There was a progression of responsibility. He had to be a steward of the information and the revelation that he was carrying. Then he said, uh, you'll have charged my courts and I'll, I'll give you places to walk among those who stand here. Actually, the third thing he says was you'll judge my house and have charge of my courts or you'll operate in a, uh, a legal role concerning Jerusalem. Now think about it. Joshua was a high priest and being a judge was not a high priestly role. Not typically. That was a kingly role. So he was being introduced to the priest-king paradigm. So you get to look at that again. Wait a minute. Joshua had something going on here. Okay. Also, our translations don't tell us this very effectively, but when it says they, he put a new, a new robe on him and a new turban, it, it was a judicial robe as opposed to a priestly robe. And it was the turban had a signet that signified what level of authority he had within which court. Fascinating. So that will be something for those who love Jewish history. You can dig that out. Okay. Um, and think about it. He's gone from a priestly role into a kingly role that he will be elevated to, to different courts, depending on how his, how he functions, because he said, I'll give you charge of my courts, plural not singular, okay? See, there are different courts that deal with different aspects of governmental affairs. And so we want to take advantage of the court system of heaven so that we can maximize what we're doing. The Lord spoke to me about three years ago. He said, one of the reasons for the courts of heaven understanding coming forth now was so that the church could be accelerated in their uh, impact for the kingdom, because we can honor the old paradigm, but it's kind of like using a <clears throat> an old drill when I've got a new power mo model, the, the Supermax models right there on the table. Why not use the Supermax model and get the job done quicker and, and more efficiently than what my great uncle was a carpenter and he had a what they call a basin bit. So he's drilling holes, winding a crank uh, with the bit. <laughs> Now, when that came along, he ended up with electric drill. Now they've got these ones that are cordless drills that do all kinds of other things, which would be the smartest to use now. Use the, the newest and the best. Okay. But the church has been, oh, no, I want to keep using this old thing that grandpa used because grandpa used it. Well, grandpa used it because they didn't have the other. You have an option. Okay. Grandpa may have used a horse and buggy but I don't think you want to get on the interstate with that. <laughs> well, and, and folks, this is actually coming from a grandpa. So mm -hmm. we got some wisdom here. Um, <laughs> I'm <telling you> right. 
Um, okay. Now I, I want to ask you about this because you brought it up. I will give you charge of my courts. Okay. Courts, plural. You have experienced a whole lot of courts, Dr. Right. Warner. Uh, I mean, the Lord's taking you and your teams people that you work with in and out of different courts as you do territorial work. And I want to give you an opportunity to flesh this out a little bit, qualify it and tell people some of the things that the Lord has opened up to you. And you, and you do talk about them in your books. So folks, if you want more than what we're talking about, please consider his book, uh, engaging the courts for your city, but go ahead. Okay. One of the courts in, in the book of Daniel uh, around chapter six, when it says the ancient of days was seated and the books were opened, it was a court setting. Uh, I refer to it probably as the, the celestial court. Okay. Mm. okay. I, and there was, it wasn't just the, the Lord as the judge. There was a panel of judges. He was yes. the chief judge. Okay. So it says the thrones were put in place and the, uh, and then the ancient of days came and he was seated and the books were open, which meant court was now in session. Now, that was for Israel, okay? So that was a court that was in, in process. We have other courts that show up. For example, in Job, you have a court, chapter 1, chapter 2, another court. In Zechariah, chapter 3, very similar situation to what Job had, okay? So possibly a different court. And other courts show up throughout the Bible, although they're not, quote, named. We just have to identify them somehow. For example, some people refer to the mercy court as the mobile court. Well, I can't resonate with the word mobile because, all right, what's that really mean? But I can re resonate with the mercy court because Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, uh, there we'll find grace, uh, mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. He said, come before the throne with boldness, the throne being the seat where the judge sits. Okay, so one of the courts that we've engaged quite a bit was the, uh, the court of the nation. Mm. Now, guess what it deals with? National issues, okay? There are other courts that deal with national issues too, depending on what the issue is. And uh, sometimes we haven't known where we're going to start up. We just know where we ended up. Sometimes you don't always have the, okay, I'm going to this court, or I'm not really sure Let the Holy Spirit direct it. And we find ourselves in a particular court. And then we kind of know the protocol or what's expected in that particular court. Uh, we often have the court mindset that there's just one judge, but the Daniel passage in, implies that there are some settings where you'll have multiple judges. We have indication in Revelation that there, the 24 elders are seated. Okay, so there's a court setting where the 24 elders are sitting there, the Lord himself being the supreme judge. So we have lots of different scenarios, and it really depends on what, what the Lord's trying to address. Uh, about three years ago, when we first began doing national and international issues, we were contending for the, the reestablishment of the Constitution of the United States in the nation. It had been under attack for at least eight years directly. Okay, so as we're contending there, he takes us into, uh, I think, the Court of the Nations, I believe it was, and we began to work repentance where the church had done similar similarly where we tr try to rewrite the word wow our constitution mm. to fit our agendas mm. Mm. okay so you always look at what's what's the church done that's similar 
okay? See, if the, the church wants to harp on the adultery that's in the world, guess where God's going to point his finger? Where's the adultery in the church? We know from Revelation chapter 2, when he speaks to the church at Thyatira, he says to them, you have tolerated that woman Jezebel who considers herself a prophetess. Okay? Guess what churches embrace a prophet prophetess concept? Charismatic Pentecostal churches. Right? The Baptist churches don't typically embrace that. So guess who he's not talking to? He's talking to us who are of charismatic Pentecostal type of persuasion. Where are we tolerating Jezebel? Because wherever we tolerate Jezebel, it lessens our authority in that and our voice in that nation or that city. Because he goes on to say toward the end of the chapter, uh, those that overcome, I'll give authority over the nations. If you look at a church and it has no voice in the city, look at how much they're tolerating Jezebel in that church. If you're if the church is in your city, if you're they have no voice, then look at how much are they tolerating Jezebel. The same nationally. How much are we tolerating Jezebel in in whatever flavor it chooses to manifest? And I'm not just speaking of control, but there's always a sexual element about a Jezebel spirit. It always uses sex in some fashion to define itself. So we want to have authority. So guess what? We got to clean up our own stuff. If we want to do national work, international work, we cannot have sin in our own lives that is ongoing. We got to be dealing with our stuff. We got to be dealing with our generational stuff, the iniquity patterns that are in our family lines, those kind of things, because the enemy will let you elevate, get elevated to a certain point, and then he'll cut you off at the knees, so to speak, because he doesn't mind whacking you when it's not convenient. I've noticed that he doesn't really attack me when it's convenient. Hmm. He always tries to attack when I'm busy with other things that I need to be doing. And he just throws it in there. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I want to have a voice. I want to do, have an impact on my city, but I have to look at me first and look at the church, the state of the church. Uh, When I was in Bolivia uh, a year and a half ago, the, of all places in, in the Catholic Church in Santa Cruz, they have, a, in essence, a cathedral there. Okay? They have a, an art museum attached to right next door. In that art museum, uh, an artist had a, on display her works, which exposed the sin of the Catholic Church when it came to their saying they have a voice against abortion, but they were getting the nuns pregnant stealing little girls off the street, getting them pregnant, and then killing them and killing the babies. So you're saying, oh, I'm against this innocent bloodshed, but I'm creating innocent bloodshed by Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the wickedness that's going on under in the tunnels Mm. and in the, the, the rooms, et cetera, in their complexes. And the fact that they even had that there was amazing to me because it was so in your face. Wow. And she was just stripping it bare. And she's not a believer. She was just stripping it open. It's there. You need to look at this thing. And so they had, the church has no voice until they repent of their sins and of the sins that they've tolerated. You know, you started out, you mentioning fear. Anytime we uh, embrace fear, we are empowering the liar. 
So if I embrace a lie, I'm empowering the liar. Any level on which I embrace fear, I don't have strength or authority in that area. Now, I deal with a lot of people who say, oh, but what about backlash? Now, some people get so consumed with the backlash. See, backlash tells me that if I obey God, I'm going to get beaten up on because I did obey God. So after a while, I'm not motivated to obey God. Right? That's a good point. Paul said in Romans, uh, what, who's going to separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation, persecution, famine, nakedness, sword, all those kind of all peril, all those. Okay. And then in John, he talks about how the love of God drives out fear because fear has torment. If you're afraid you're going to get whacked, if you embrace that mindset that every time I obey, I obey God, I want to get whacked, then you won't obey God. You'll take another way out. But what, the, what you're doing, though, is you're living in terror. Because terror sets the conditions for your obedience. See, when God gives you an instruction, he's not asking your opinion about the instruction. He's wanting your obedience to the instruction. And he wants it. And you're, you're responsible for the instruction from the moment that he gives it, not from the moment that you obey it. That's deep. Dr. Horner, let me tell you something. I have seen fear at work to strip so many believers of their destiny in every area of life. Right. And it's, it's not even just about backlash. Sometimes it's a fear of success and what they're going to do with responsibility. Right. Uh, Sometimes it's, I, I just have seen this thing get twisted in so many ways. You know, I, one of the things that I love is the Christian leaders who are afraid that adopting something God is trying to give them as a new technology of heaven will affect their numbers. It's like, wait, so you're working for the guy that is the Lord over the sheep you're stewarding, and you're afraid that by adopting what he said you're going to lose numbers in his church, which you have been set over. These kinds of attitudes, which <laughs> I'm sorry, are very commonplace, grieve my spirit. Right? It's been around a long time. Come on. If you read in Corinthians where Paul's dealing with a guy who's been sleeping with his stepmom, okay? Mm. Paul says, I have judged this matter. And here's what you've got to do, talking to the elders of the church. Okay? So one that tells me that Paul stepped in the realms of, into the courts of heaven, and that thing was judged in the courts of heaven, and he may have been part of the judging council that came out with a verdict. And the verdict was to turn the guy out. Because remember, in that time frame, he was, if he was a Jewish believer and he had become a believer, he was no longer welcome among the Jews. If he came out from the pagans, he was no longer welcome among the pagans. So to turn him out meant that he had nobody to rely on. His entire social structure had been the church. So Paul knew that that would have an impact on him, and he would be likely to turn back fairly quickly. But Paul also said this. He rebuked the elders because you were afraid you were going to lose money with this, if this guy left the church. 
That sounds really familiar. <laughs> Doesn't it? Okay. Did okay. he say it in so many words? No, but there, it's there. The tone is there. Wait a minute. You guys were afraid you're going to lose some money if you get, if you dealt with this issue. The problem we have now in the church, we didn't deal with issues, so we have what we have. Hmm. Well, uh, Dr. Horner, I, I, I want to talk about protocols for a little bit here. Now, when you are dealing with courts of heaven, uh, you, you're, you're dealing in a realm of protocol. And uh, you have a very organized way that uh, the Lord has trained you in engaging with the courts of heaven. And I want to just let you talk a little bit about this aspect of it, right? Um, go for it. Okay. When you're in a court, for example, uh, in our, if I were to go to my courthouse downtown, one, I would check my weapons at the door. I'd have to go through the, the scanner and you even check your, your cell phone at the door in some cases. Okay. You can't even have it on your person. You got to go back to your car and put it back in the car. Okay. See, as believers, we need to carry the same mindset. I'm checking my weapons at the door. I'm relying on the strength and the protection that that court itself is able to take care of me. That's one aspect that I have to look at. I'm relying on their ability to take care of me not my own ability. I'm checking my weapons at the door. Once I'm in the courtroom, how would I behave? Uh, I, we've had situations where people would get up and want to make bold declarations and make decrees and things like that. Now imagine you're in the, your local courthouse and the judge has called everybody in order and you start standing up and you start calling out and, and just shouting out at the top of your voice in that courtroom. What are they going to do to you? They're going to sit you down and possibly take you out contempt of court because, see, it's the judge's job to do the judging. It's not your job to do the judging, not your job to make decrees and things in that court. Okay? Decrees are done outside of the courts. Uh, I, res I have to respect, the one, the protocol of the court and also the personnel within that court. If I don't respect them, then I won't have the benefit of them because the, the, uh, one of the rules of honor is what I honor, I'll have the benefit of. If I don't honor that court, I won't have the benefit of that court. Now, another thing I do is when I'm in the courts, I'm relinquishing my authority to the authority of the court itself. Now, that's hard for a lot of people to grasp when they're stepping into the courts of heaven because they're ready to bind and cast out and all kinds of things within that court. But I'll, I'll request of the court angelic assistance to get those things taken care of. Those angels are a lot better at evictions of demons than I am. They've been at it. They've been able to do it for quite a while. I just showed up on the scene a few, few decades ago. All right. So I'm relinquishing my authority to the authority of the court, and I'm relying on the authority of the court for certain things to get done. And because I'm relying on the authority of the court, it'll honor me by getting those things done. That makes sense? Absolutely. So, okay. So one time we were in a court system, and this was the first time for this particular group. But as we were in there, a couple of people got up there, and instead of the instruction of the Lord was to do 
repentance on behalf of the church and the nation. They began to pontificate and began to complain about all kinds of things. That was not the instruction for that time. So the Holy Spirit got really upset about that. Mm. And we actually put the court in recess and came back the next day. Why? Because it wasn't their job to pontificate. In the court, you're not there to pontificate. Okay, any opinions are going to be written by the judges. They're not looking for your opinion. Okay, they're they're here to render justice in your behalf. Okay, so in this case, uh, the Lord was very grieved because we had broken the protocol of that court. We had dishonored that court that with that group. Uh, the Lord dealt with me severely that night, saying, "Okay, right, here's the, here's what you've got to do. One is you're going to go in, you're going to apologize to the court." You're also going to say, if you cannot abide by the instruction of the Holy Spirit in this time, then you need to excuse yourself from the proceedings. Because you cannot get a verdict rendered if you're in a bunch of division. So we, we laid it out there. And the ones that had done, had broken the protocol, uh, some of them actually got up and left the building, which is fine. Okay, if you can't abide by the rules, then... Uh, go play somewhere else. But the ones who remained that had broken the protocol apologized to the court and to the people for their breach of protocol. Uh, Once we had done the apologies, they were accepted. They were able to proceed finishing the court case. But see, just as in the natural court system, if I were to breach the protocol, I can suffer the consequences of breaching that protocol. If an attorney breaches the protocol, they can be censured from that court. You see, not everybody gets to go to the appeals court or the Supreme Court. They have to be vetted for that. They have to have a track record that they're successful and they know how to handle themselves in those court settings. And so there's a process for all those types of things. And I don't want to get myself in trouble and you don't want to get in trouble. So use some, as I say, just use some common sense. It's really not that difficult, but don't assume that you're there to start casting out demons. You're not. I don't have to do that. See, if I deal with the legal issues and allowing that thing to be in, in, in place in that person's life, and those are dealt with successfully, they'll get free. I don't have to go through a bunch of calisthenics to get it done. So that's a, an aspect I, I do appreciate. Greatly, because I've done the deliverance thing like you have. <laughs> okay, so I want to see people get set free, but I simply honor the protocol, honor the court, and speak when I'm spoken to. Now, I want to talk about that um, because now there are going to be a lot of people, right? Just like some of our other podcasts, because this is your reality. You've done so many court cases. And so you're speaking from a, from a position of experience. Um, maturation, God has matured you. There's so many believers, and, and and they're just now hearing a friend talk about courts of heaven, tuning into this podcast. Uh, speak when you're spoken to. I don't even know how to hear God's voice, Doctor Horner. How how am I going to know what court I'm standing in, or who the presiding uh, authorities are in a court, or 
question, 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 question. And so I, I, I just want to let you speak to how, how, how you got from not even knowing, because God opened this up for you. Right. And how you got from that place where there was, you know, ignorance, like many of us have had ignorance, we just didn't even know this was a thing, to where you are now and, and how you've been able to discern and, and now regularly discern, this is the court I'm in, this is who's there, this is what the environment is, and this is what's expected. Right. Yeah. One thing is for the, for the newbie in the courts of heaven, I have a book called Engaging the Help Desk of the Courts of Heaven. They have a help desk. So if I don't know, where do I need to go for, this is my situation, where do I need to go? Uh, you can, as you step into the realms of heaven, step up to the help desk and say, this is my situation, where do I need to go? And they'll ask you, or escort you to the right court. Once you get to that court, an angel inside that court will help you go through the procedures of that court. And just, if nothing else, just simply by a knowing within your spirit, without even seeing or hearing. If you see, fine. If you hear, fine. But you can follow your knower. As you know, your knower knows a lot more than you realize. We've often discounted that. Okay. Uh, but it, just but as you mentioned, because of my experience, because I'm going in, into the courts daily for different people in different situations. So I'm doing this dozens of times a week sometimes. Okay. So I already know this situation is likely going to end up in that court most of the time. So occasionally I'll get surprised and he'll take us somewhere we've never been before. Okay. Or I'm always alone for the ride. Okay. <laughs> Whatever it happens to be. But if I typically know, then I, I, by now I know the protocol. I know how to ask and things like that. For example, I always ask permission to enter any court. Hmm. Going in the court of titles and deeds, I request, we're requesting permission to enter the court of titles and deeds on behalf of Dan Duvall. And if we're granted the permission, we, we proceed. Okay. I don't ever assume that I have permission because there are certain courts that I don't necessarily have permanent access to. These are high level courts, which are likely going to deal with national or international issues. So I don't always have access permanent access to every court. There are some that are just that way. And God sets the rules I don't. I just found it's good to just work with them. Because what am I going to do? Talk them into changing them? No, that's not a good idea. Okay, so I'll, I'll work with that, that kind of setup and with that mindset. Because, see, there are some people who are teaching, oh, we can just kind of just prance right up to the courts. Well, yes and no, because in our prancing up to the court, are we doing it with respect to the judge, with respect to the court, with respect to the realms of heaven? Because uh, just like any subject, the courts of heaven, you'll have people that will swing way off on their pendulum swing, and then they'll swing off the other direction, and then they'll finally come to a balance. So we're seeing some of that swing off into some crazy stuff when it comes to courts, and they're doing just stupid things. I'm not going to focus on that. I want to try to keep it within a reasonable bounds <laughs> so that you want you to stay safer and you also see the results that you need to see. Okay. Because the courts are not your Disney world. This is not six flags over Georgia or Texas or whatever for you to be entertained by. 
It's to get justice rendered in the lives of men and women on the earth. And so I want to see justice rendered. That was the cry of the widow in Luke 18. Give me justice from my adversary. Mm-hmm. And we know the Lord is all about justice. It says that righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne. So he's all about justice, but I have to honor the system that he set up and work with that system. Uh, he's not asking me what my opinion of how they do things. Okay. For example, on rare occasions, I've been invited into his, to the judge's chamber. Now that's entirely different, but it's just like if you were invited into the judge's chambers here on the earth, you're not, not everybody in the courtroom is in that judge's chamber. It's usually just a handful of people, if that many, and it'll be a lot more intimate and because he wants to deal with things in a private manner. Okay. Again, that's his choice. So I'm just going to work with it and flow with what I feel and sense Holy Spirit is doing. I'll follow my, my sonar or my seeing, whichever is dominant that day. Okay. And just work with it. Cause some days you see better than others. And some days you hear better than others. It's just that the way we are. Okay. That's a true story. Thank you for that. That's really, really good. Um, I want to now move into watchers and patrollers, uh, particularly in respect to cities and regions, because you have a whole chapter on this. And I think that, you know, as the body of Christ moves beyond the veil, where we're finding that the spirit realm is a lot more interesting uh, than, than we thought, you know, I, I think Christians basically well, coming from certain backgrounds believe the spirit realm is um, a bunch of little babies floating around with wings in heaven, God on a throne, us down here surrounded by a bunch of demons and that's all there is to it. Right. And so, you know, don't, uh, don't, forget, don't forget all the harps. Uh, right. I forgot about the harps. Thank yeah. you for that. <laughs> uh, harps and halos. So, yeah. <laughs> um, we have this, 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 this unreasonably elementary perspective of the spirit world. And, and, and now the, well, certain people in the body of Christ and groups are beginning to move beyond that. Right. And we're saying, okay, there is a door. His name is Jesus. And through him, we have rightful access to the spirit world right? and engage with it. And so you talk about watchers and patrollers. What are they and how have you interacted with them in, in pursuing a kingdom agenda for the city? Okay. In Zechariah chapter 1, uh, Zechariah sees this man upon a horseback. Now notice it's a man, not an angel. Okay. And uh, then looking beyond him, he sees in the trees uh, some other men on horseback. And he said, what are these? These are those who go to and fro throughout the earth uh, to see what's going on. See, the church has relegated the, the going to and fro to being something that only the devil did. Mm. Okay. So we've relegated the, the knowings that come from that going back and forth to and fro in the earth to just the devil. We know the Lord's had angels and men and women and white linen who go through and to and fro throughout the earth to find out what's going on and then report back to the intercessors what they need to deal with. Now, in the Zachariah story, he said the report was all is quiet. 
that's the report you want. Now, when I first saw this in Zechariah, the Lord opened it up to me, so I chose to engage the patroller over the county where I live. And as soon as I chose to engage it, I was aware of a someone on a horse stepping into my living room. Okay, a big black stallion just suddenly appeared in my, in my living room. Okay, and he informed me of something that was going on in the south side of the, the town that was the county seat. And so with that information, I released angels to go take care of that because angels know how to do the battle. I don't have to go duke it out myself. Okay. As I released the angels, they took care of it and I knew it was handled. The next day I engaged again. They gave me a different report. So again, I released angels to take care of that situation. And so I was dealing with fresh information. Now, a lot of intercessory groups, they just kind of do shotgun prayers and hoping they'll, they'll hit something with that because I had inside information from the patrollers of something that needed to be dealt with and handled immediately. I was able to get it handled much more quickly than waiting until Thursday when the prayer group meets and hope that this witnesses to everybody's spirit. No, I had informa information inside from those that have been going to and fro throughout this county, that county, telling me, all right, this is what you need to look out for. Now, in Daniel chapter 4, I think it's verse 7, he says, there are watchers. Okay, now, the problem with a lot of believers is they think all the watchers fell. Well, Daniel does talk about holy watchers. Yeah, so holy watchers. So we're dealing, looking at the holy watchers. I view them as kind of like, they're almost like a those who just have an eye on the entire area. They don't necessarily go from one place to the other, but they're almost like a lighthouse, just scanning the horizon, uh, like the, our old fire towers we had in, in North Carolina. The wildlife service would have fire towers and they could watch for 10 miles around them. And if there was anything they need to deal with, they could call in help. So watchers and the patrollers work together because they'll engage with one another and I can engage with them what we need to handle. For example, uh, one group that I work with, we, when we meet together, we engage the watchers and patrollers over this particular county that I'm in. And, all right, and so they'll, they'll come with insight of something we need to deal with. Things that may not be in the newspaper, things that are of an intercessory kind of nature that we can deal with in the spirit and get shut down before it ever hits people or before it ever becomes a manifestation and people or situations in the county. If I can deal with things in the realm of the spirit, I can get it shut down a lot easier than it when, it when it gets to people because then I've got their wills and their prejudices involved and things like that. So we've done this for oh, several years. When I, when I go to a certain city or nation, I'll engage the watchers and patrollers as well because it, it simply fine-tunes your intercession. You're not dealing with stuff that you don't really need to handle. Okay. You deal with what really needs to be taken care of for that particular area at that point in time. So it's made it a lot more fun. Okay. So, you know, one of the questions that I've gotten several times when I, I've talked about, you know, communicating with things, <laughs> you know, one of the things that God has opened up to me and I, we did a whole course on realms and dimensions and sealed at our Institute that, you know, the whole creation is alive, you know, and every realm 
has its own sentience, which is a stretch for many people to understand what that language means. But you can talk with a lot of things in the spirit world. Um, and, and, and a lot of those conversations can be redemptive. Now, you know, talking to demons, just walking around down your street might not be such a redemptive conversation. You might just want to rebuke that sucker, but you know, um, people say, okay, the angel shows up, you're talking to the angel. What's the difference? How do you know that you're talking to an angel and not Holy spirit? How do you discern that you're, uh, engaging with a watcher or a patroller? How would you tell the difference in that voice when it's coming from the spirit world? And I'm just going to turn that question over to you because I know that people are thinking this as you're talking. Okay. Uh, I have a daily practice mm. when I first get up, uh, I'll go to where my office, so to speak, and I'll sit down and I'll say, what does heaven have to say to me today? Mm. Because some days when the one speaking is the, is the father, he has a different tone than the son mm-hmm. and, and different than the Holy Spirit. Yes. Okay. Now, some days Jesus is the one that I'm conversing with and, or Holy Spirit. Sometimes, just as he did in the Bible, he had an angel speak to someone or he used one of the men or women in white linen to address an issue. So it's... When I phrase the question that way, I leave it open to whoever he chooses to use. Okay, so I'm not saying, oh, God's the only one. So, God, what do you have to say to me? And God may not have anything to say that particular moment. So, because I didn't ask the question, what does heaven have to say? May be a whole different thing. Because if you look at my journals, you'll find sometimes it may be a paragraph, and some days it's six and seven pages. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, when I'm speaking, for example, with the watchers or patrollers, I'm engaging them to, uh, specifically. So I expect that I'm hearing from them or I'm seeing them speak. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's so good. it's not so much that, I, uh, that I'm wondering who's doing the talking. For example, there's the verse that says, uh, He's God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. So when you read that, he considers that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are not dead. Because the context of that, okay, so they're not dead, then they're obviously living. So they've simply moved, uh, changed addresses. Jesus had no problem talking to Moses and Elijah. And you get the feel when you read the story of the Mount of Transfiguration that it wasn't his first time. Okay. So now I may be speaking to an angel. Okay. That you'll usually know just because you have a sense, you see who it is you're talking to. We're the same with one of the men in white, women in white linen, because I've, I've spoken with Zachariah and Moses and these different guys. I mean, you think about it. If I want to know about the book of Zechariah, who knows it better? than Zechariah. He can unpack things that nobody else knows because they didn't write it. And so I can I can maximize that because anything they say, now they have perfect knowledge, will not go against what the Word says. It'll help flesh out or fill out what the Word has already said. So, see, I also go in with the expectation that I'm going to be hearing from heaven as opposed to hearing from darkness in matthew when jesus said if you as a father 
and son asking for a piece of bread, will you give him a stone, all that, then how much more will your heavenly father give good things to those who ask it? This is a good thing that I'm asking because he tells me in John 10 that my sheep hear my voice and they'll follow me. If I can't hear his voice, then I can't follow. But he wants me to follow because he's told me that in the word. So he's going to help me hear his voice. Now, I may have things that I need to get help clear out my, get the wax out of my ears, spiritually speaking. But there are ways that we can do that. And you well know that because some of the stuff you got on your, your website. Uh, so, uh, but I do, I hear from a lot of people that they don't see like they want to see. Mm-hmm. Okay. You probably have a lot of people like that too. Uh, and when I look at it, I say, all right, remember what's one of the, in the first degree level of Freemasonry, the hoodwink appears. You're in essence, your ancestor, whoever it was that, took those oaths or those vows, made a covenant to be blind spiritually except to the false light. That's why you could see demons, but you couldn't see angels. Okay, so we need to deal with the, the roots of behind all that and get yourself, get yourself free from that. If it's not that, then, all right, somebody took ownership of your seeing. And that goes back to the, the book that we talked about a while back in the Ownership and Order book. But we get the ownership claim on your seeing removed in the court of titles and deeds, and your seeing will open up immediately. I've had that happen numerous times. Uh, That's good. When we deal with that ownership claim, and the ownership claim can be from somebody who is significant in your life, significant in your life, and said, oh, you don't deserve to see, or you shouldn't be looking at that. And we took that to heart because it was grandma who said that. And we agreed with the lie of that, and it shut down our scene. So if I can repent for agreeing with a lie and get the ownership claim, get the transfer, get a transfer of title from them and their statement over to the Lord of hosts, then the scene will come. And I've, I've even tested this with, in one particular setting, the two ladies that I was working with, they were seeing, but seeing fuzzy. Yeah. Okay. So we did that, followed that process. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I said, all right, now look back at what you had been looking at and see how clear it is now. And it was like somebody pulled the blinders off. Wow. They were able to see immediately, read the details of what they were seeing, as opposed to just reading the header. And those that wear glasses know what I'm talking about. You take a glass off and all you see is the headline. You can't read anything in the type. Okay. You'll notice too, my books are not in six point type. <laughs> There's a reason for that. I, no, I, I did notice you use large font. <laughs> oh, it'll be 11 or 11, 11 point typically. Uh-huh. Because that's a decent size. It doesn't hurt your eyes to be reading the thing. I mean, I have these books that are in seven or eight point type. I'm not going to read that. It's too hard. It fatigues your eyes. But that's a whole other thing. <laughs> so. that, 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 that's really, really good. So, folks, if you, if you have been struggling with your spiritual sight and you've been asking questions, um, don't hesitate to deploy some of Dr. Horner's keys because he may have just given you the key that you've been believing God for for years. I don't let that one just like, you know, right over your head. <laughs> um, take, take the key. Now, 
Dr. Warner, this has been really, really good. You have something else you have to say, though, because you're drawing your breath, so I'm not going to interrupt you. Go ahead. Uh, on that particular subject we just mentioned, yes, uh, I do a little short video on that on Courts of Heaven webinar YouTube channel. Courts of Heaven webinar. It just did a little 10-minute thing that walks you through that process so that people can, their eyes can get opened. And I, I was seeing, at one point I was seeing 99% of the people who did it were seeing immediate results. Wow. That, that's impressive no matter what it is. You get that kind of results. Okay. So whenever I come across something like that, then I'm going to say, use that. It's working. Mm. Okay. So, and that's powerful for people that their, their sight is in essence, they got cataracts on their eyes, spiritual cataracts, so to speak. You have some prayers about tinnitus. Well, you're looking at the same kind of thing with the cataracts. That's really good. Okay. So you get to work on that yourself. <laughs> ah. Yeah. Ah, what, ah, there may be a prayer here. <laughs> okay. That's really, really good. Well, no, I mean, people, you know, just take advantage of Dr. Horner's resources um, very, quite, quite seriously. He has some really good stuff, and that's why he's on the podcast. You know, um, I, 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 I believe in Ron Horner's material. And, and so for those of you that are looking to flesh out your revelation on, on the courts of heaven, um, I mean, Dr. Horner is now, I think, 11 books on this subject. And, uh, you know, the Lord just keeps giving him more downloads because he's been faithful with what the Lord has given him. Uh, I, you know, I've read three of his books. I haven't read them all, but uh, they're, they're really good and very well organized. And so, you know, uh, as far as what we've been talking about today, he uh, has a whole book. It's called Engaging the Courts for Your City. And in that book, there, I mean, we didn't cover all of the material, obviously, but there are all kinds of templated prayers, um, prayers to open, prayers to close, uh, uh, um, even bullet points on how to organize a meeting around doing some, you know, warfare or I should say intercession in this manner. And so, you know, if God is prompting you in that direction, take a look at that and uh, make sure to check them out at courtsofheaven.net. Did you have anything else, Dr. Horner, that you wanted to leave us with? Uh, no, just be faithful with where he starts you and just build from that. Don't try to bite off something that a little bit bigger than your britches are. Let me give you this little story. A few years ago when the Ferguson, Missouri stuff was going on, okay, um, I don't have, I didn't at that time have a specific authority in Missouri, but I knew who did. So my prayers were to undergird the intercessors in that team that did have specific authority there. So they, they would have the wisdom of God and the strategies of God to deal with that situation properly uh, in prayer, okay? Uh, many times we're wanting, we have a burden for something, but we don't have a specific authority in that area. It helps to have a specific authority. You really want to have a specific authority in any city, state, nation, okay? And with that specific authority, it gives us extra teeth, so to speak, in the spirit to see things move, okay? Go ahead. 
No, that's that, that's that's really good. And, and folks, um, many times this specific authority comes by way of paperwork. We call them mandates. They can come in like scrolls in the spirit. Got to give you a mandate for a region. Uh, that's what we got before we began to do anything in the Dallas area. We actually got an official piece of paperwork from heaven to do it. And another aspect of this, you know, just to kind of piggyback on some of the things that Dr. Horn is bringing up, is the, is the metron, what Paul calls it an, a metros or a sphere of authority. And when Paul was talking about that, he was actually addressing the church and he was saying, look, you are part of my sphere of authority. And he recognized what was and was not part of his sphere. And we're kind of saying the same thing. Right. And here's one way that I found that you can formalize any kind of sphere authority like that. Uh, say he's instructing you to a particular area, but you don't live there. Rent a P.O. box or rent a storage unit. That'll give you specific authority because you have a legal agreement in the land. And that gives me a legal standing in that county or that city or that state. And that's one of the things that we've done is to simply get a P.O. box or a, a storage unit, a small storage unit in that area. It's a legal agreement. I'm owner as long as I meet the terms of that lease. So I have legal authority in that place. And so that's when the, the enemy said, well, I'm challenging your authority here. I got papers. I'm really the scrolls, but I've got other papers. And uh, we've seen it be effective for that. Okay. That's, That's really good. Folks, um, man, it's always a pleasure to sit down and talk with you, Dr. Horner. Uh, you are really just uh, first class, and I appreciate you so much. And so, um, folks, until next time. God bless. That's right. Go to the website. Oh, yeah. <laughs> net. God bless and Godspeed. You've been listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. This podcast is a production of Bride Ministries International. Visit our website at brideministriesinternational.com to enjoy the Bride Ministries Church, the Bride Ministries Institute, free resources, and to support us financially.